Over the years, I have been very fortunate to have individuals, godly individuals, who have taken an interest in my life. People who were willing to take me by the arm and pull me aside and say things that I needed to hear. Sometimes they were comforting. Sometimes they were encouraging. Sometimes they were challenging, telling me things that I needed to know about what was going on in my life. Sometimes it was just to give me a swift kick in the butt so that I could get busy with the ministry of the gospel. And that's what Peter is going to do here. In this section of his letter that David just read, as a fellow elder, as someone who has witnessed Christ's suffering, as someone who shares in the glory that is to be revealed, he says, I urge the elders among you. That's what Peter is talking about. It's, it's almost like it's a testimonial. It's his testimony that he understands what these elders are going through. He personally understands their responsibilities, their struggles, and the pressures that they confront because he also bears those responsibilities as a fellow elder. He says, I know what it is to be in the position of leadership in the church, and because I do, here are some things that I want to share with you. In this small passage, Peter is going to address three groups, exhorting them all to carry out their responsibilities as members of the household of God. First, he's going to deal with elders as shepherds who lead the flock, verses 2 and 3. Second, he's going to talk about the rest of the flock in general. What is their obligation or what is their responsibility to the elders? And last, he's going to talk about all of us together as a whole. He wants to know, he's going to tell us what we as a group of believers need to be doing to one another. Elders are exhorted to lead the people of God under their care in the same manner that a shepherd leads his flock. The end of verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2, he says, I urge the elders among you, give a shepherd's care to God's flock among you. Peter focuses on the idea of the shepherd because it has personal significance to him. In the Gospel of John chapter 21, three times, Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And every time Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then in turn, Jesus exhorts Peter, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs. This encounter with the risen Christ left an indelible mark on Peter's life. Shepherd my sheep. In 1 Peter 5, Peter is taking the exhortation that he received from Christ and he is passing it on to the fellow elders that he is writing to in his letter. Give a shepherd's care to the flock of God among you. Shepherds were responsible for the health and well-being of the sheep under their watch. They were responsible for keeping the sheep fed, making sure that the sheep were protected from outside attack. They led the sheep from pasture to pasture. They bandaged and treated the sick. It was the shepherd's responsibility to see that the sheep were safe, that they were growing that they were thriving, maturing under their care. 
In verse 2, Peter calls upon elders to give the same spiritual care to the people under their, their leadership as the sh- shepherd did the sheep. Peter writes, give a shepherd's care to, the gods, to God's flock among you. Think about that last phrase for a second. God's flock among you. Elders are to care for the flock, but it does not belong to them. That same principle is true even here today at Formal. God has placed David and Cami and the other elders in positions of spiritual leadership over you. But you don't belong to us. You belong to the Father. Our responsibility as elders is to nurture the flock of God among us, to help you to grow, to help you to mature, and for you to thrive in your relationship with Christ. That is our job as shepherds of the sheep. As I thought about that phrase, a couple of different people came to mind. Uh, A couple of individuals, one Moses and the other one was David. I mean, think about those two. Moses spent 40 years leading the nation of Israel. He led them out of Egypt. He led them through the wilderness. He led them right up to the edge of the land that God had promised Abraham. But what was Moses doing before God called him to lead the nation? He was a shepherd. And the flock that he shepherded belonged to his father-in-law. Scripture calls David a man after God's own heart. And when the prophet Samuel came to anoint David king over Israel, he wasn't anywhere to be found. You know why that is? Because he was out shepherding the flock, his father's flock. As elders, that is what Peter is exhorting us to do. Tend our father's sheep. The question is, how do we do that? How are elders to shepherd God's flock? Peter answers that question in the next part of the verse. He says we are to do it by exercising oversight. Elders tend the flock of God by exercising oversight, and that oversight manifests itself in three contrasting attitudes and actions. To exercise oversight essentially means the same as giving a shepherd's care. Whenever a New Testament writer wanted to say the same thing, but in a different way, he would put them in what's called apposition to one another, side by side. Think of it this way. If I were to say my wife, that is Wendy, uh, made dinner last night, the words wife and Wendy would be describing the same person. And that is what Peter is doing here. He's telling us the same thing. Oversight is giving care to God's people. Elders are to tend the flock. That is exercise overflight and three contrasting attitudes and actions. If we look at the rest of verse 2 and 3, it says, not merely as a duty, but willingly, under God's direction. Not for shameful profit, but eagerly. And do not lord it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. Positive attitudes and actions, not negative ones, are to characterize spiritual leadership. If we take a moment to think about Peter's statement, each one begins with a negative attitude, followed by a contrasting positive one. Not this, but this. Not this negative attitude or action, but this positive one. Peter is saying that there are certain 
attitudes or frame of mind that should never show itself in an elder's life. But there are positive ones that should be clearly evident in the way we live our lives. One of the things that has bothered me about elders down through the years, and I include, my, I include myself with this, is that they all are human. I've never met one yet that isn't. And as such, we are susceptible to the very things that Peter says not to do. We have to ask ourselves, why did Peter put the negatives in there in the list if they don't have the potential to be a problem? The fact is, they can be. And elders, myself included, we need to be on guard against those kind of things creeping into our life. He says, first, elders are to give oversight, not as a duty, but willingly. Have you ever done anything that your heart just wasn't in? You know the whole time that what you are doing is for, that why you are doing it is for the wrong reason. It was your duty and nothing more. Peter says an elder should never shepherd the flock of God with that kind of attitude. Serving the body of Christ should never be a drudgery. Elders need to be care that we don't do things for the wrong reasons. What's interesting is that Peter, in this passage, uses the same word that the Apostle Paul uses over in 2 Corinthians 9 when he's talking about giving. He says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And Peter agrees with Paul, that's the wrong attitude, whether one is giving or leading. Not reluctantly not under compulsion. Instead, on the positive side of the equation, elders are exhorted to lead the flock willingly as God directs. Look at the contrast between the two. Dutifully, no. Willingly, yes. Peter says it's the responsibility of the elder to choose the latter. Willingly carries with it the idea of voluntarily, of one's own free will, without hesitation, without reluctance, shepherding without a hint of regret, holding nothing back. Whereas the phrase says, willingly under God's direction. Elders are called to willingly lead the church as God leads them. One of the things that I appreciate about the group of people that serve on the elder board here at Four Mile is that we consistently seek God's wisdom and direction when making decisions about you that affect the church. We never, we seek never to lose sight of the fact that we desperately need God's guidance to fulfill our role as shepherds of the sheep. Second, elders are to give oversight, not for shameful profit, but eagerly. Have you ever asked somebody to do something for you and their comment was, well, what's in it for me? They care more about what they're going to get out of it rather than what they're going to put into it. Peter is saying that an elder should never serve to see what they can gain, but rather serve in 
order to see what they can give, not out of selfish motives. Some translations say not for sordid gain, not, for, not greedy for money. But I like the way Gene Peterson puts it in the message, not calculating what you can get out of it. It doesn't make any difference whether it's money or influence or prestige or possessions. Peter says the idea of personal self-interest should never enter the mind of someone in leadership in the church. That's the negative. Instead of personal gain, Peter says elders are to shepherd the flock of God eagerly, ready to serve, with enthusiasm. That's the positive. The implication is that elders are the first to act rather than standing off to the side and watching somebody else lead the flock. Army Rangers have a motto that would suit elders well. They say, Rangers lead the way. So should those who shepherd the flock of God. And third, elders are not to lord it over those entrusted to them, but be examples to the flock. There have been times uh, that I've worked uh, for someone who was happy to tell me that they were the boss. And they were more than happy to remind me of it in case I forgot. They lorded it over me and over the other people that worked for them. It's a sense of arrogance, self-importance that puts others in their place almost from the moment you meet them. Peter says that elders need to be careful that their position doesn't go to their head. On the contrary, elders are to be examples to the flock. An example is simply something to be imitated. Every parent in this room is an example. And if you don't think so, just let me spend a little time with your children. There's a reason people say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. In a biblical context, Paul used an example when he said, be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. In another place, he wrote, be imitators of me, brothers and sisters, and watch carefully those living this way, just as you, just as you have us as an example. Listen to that phrase again. Watch carefully those who are living this way. That's exactly what Peter is saying to the elders. Elders need to be an example that people can watch and say, Oh, I see. That's how I'm supposed to live the Christian life. The ultimate example, however, for the elders and for the rest of the church, in fact, is the example of Christ. It's found in the, in the Gospel of John in chapter 13. We read these words, these verses. When he had washed their feet, and put, on out, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right to do so because I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also 
ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Jesus, teacher and Lord, washed his disciples' feet. It's what people call servant leadership. The principle of servant leadership echoes throughout the scripture, but none more loudly than the example of Christ himself. That is exactly what Peter means when he calls elders to be examples. If you want to be an example worth imitating, follow Christ's example. Be a servant leader. A willing, eager example of servant leadership. That is the kind of shepherds that God is looking for to shepherd his sheep. Peter now shifts his attention from those who lead to those who are led. From the shepherd to the sheep, as verses 2 and 3 outline what God expects to see in the life of an elder, so verse 5 expresses what God expects from the rest of the congregation. God's people are to subject themselves to the leadership of those God has placed over them. Peter begins by saying, in the same way. Here he is alluding back to verse 1 where he says to to the elders, in the same way. In the same way as I exhorted the leaders in the church, I now urge those who are younger be subject to the elders. Those who are younger describes the rest of the congregation. One commentator put it this way. Elder here denotes those who exercise spiritual leadership, who for the most part are older in years. Likewise, younger means the rest of the community, who for the most part are younger in age, who are urged to accept the authority of their leaders. The only exhortation that Peter has for the rest of the flock is pretty straightforward. Be subject to the elders. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. The word subject that Peter is using is the same word that David has been talking about for the last several weeks in the book of Ephesians. In in fact, in some versions... They use the word submit here in this verse. Here as there, the word carries the idea of a voluntary attitude, one of voluntarily following the spiritual leadership of the elders. The idea of voluntarily giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. In other words, elders are to lead well through the example of servant leadership And the rest of the congregation responds by voluntarily getting behind them, cooperating with them, assuming responsibilities, and helping carry the work of the gospel forward. That's how the end states out there when you come in. That's how those end states on the wall will be accomplished. Servant leaders followed by committed believers voluntarily taking the gospel to the, tri- to the tri-state region and beyond. In the middle of verse 5, Peter has one more admonition for his readers. It's an exhortation not just to those who lead or to those who follow, but to the body of Christ as a whole. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. 
Notice the inclusive nature of the command. All of you, nobody is left out here. Before it was elders do this, and then it was the younger do that. But here Peter is exhorting everyone, all believers, young and old, followers, leaders, to clothe yourselves with humility. Not only is that command all-inclusive, it's also personal. Clothe yourselves. Uh, Wendy's been watching this show, uh, Downton Abbey, lately. It's uh, some British Broadcasting Corporation English thing. <laughs> some of you, some of the, some of the women probably know it. I'd, I'd call it a chick flick, but I'd probably get in trouble. <laughs> Not allowed to say that anymore. But uh, every once in a while, I get sucked in. I mean, our house is only so big, and I, it's like I can't get away from it. And uh, apparently, if you belong in the right family, you don't even have to dress yourself. Uh, they have people to help them get dressed in the morning, to change clothes in the afternoon, and to get ready for bed. I mean, it's like, it's like they're perpetual kindergartners. Humility is not like that. I can't help you put yours on. And you can't help me put mine on. It's something that we have to do for ourselves. Peter says, clothe yourselves. The word clothe here means to wrap oneself up with a garment. For the believer, humility should be like a garment that we put on every morning and that we wear all day. And it's evident to the people around us in the way we deal with them. I love one of the aspects of the meaning of humility that I came across. Humility is a deep sense of one's littleness. Let me say that again. Humility is a deep sense of one's littleness. What a great definition. Sometime back, we had the humility sign strung across the opening of the sanctuary. We came in one week and it was this high, and the next week a little lower, and the week after that lower still. And as you passed under that sign, you had a sense of your own littleness coming into the presence of God. But that Peter is saying that's also how we need to relate to one another. Peter exhorts his readers, clothe yourselves with humility toward each other. Our culture, on the other hand, is obsessed with the idea of greatness. You hear it all the time. He's the goat. She's the goat. For those of you who don't know what that means, it's an acronym, acronym meaning greatest of all time. Whether it's sports, music, uh, politics, investing, you name it, there's a goat for everything. But Mother Teresa did not become a household name by being the goat. She did it by wrapping herself in a garment of humility with a deep sense of her own littleness and serving people in the slums of Calcutta. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes, Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interest, but about the interest of others as well. That is what it means to have a deep 
sense of your own littleness. Peter finishes the passage with the ultimate reason for the believer to have a sense of their own littleness. And it's another contrasting statement. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride is a very dangerous place for the believer to be. The word oppose means to range in battle against the proud, the arrogant, find God resisting them at every turn. Who's ever going to win that battle? But he gives grace to the humble. God gives to the humble the grace they need, whether it's insight into shepherding the flock under your leadership, whether it's to submit to the spiritual leaders God has placed over you, or whether to see the person sitting next to you as more important than yourself. The grace, or the God of grace, gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Father, we think of ourselves in our own lives, and I pray that you would help us to see our own littleness. Father, that we would lead, that we would follow, and that we would relate, that we would relate to your people in a way that glorifies and honors you and lifts you up. Pray that you would encourage us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. During our time of reflection, I'd like us to think about three things, or actually pray about three different things. Uh, first, pray that God would nurture a shepherd's heart in every individual in this church in a position of leadership. Second, pray for yourselves. Ask God to show you, am I indeed committed to the leadership that God has placed over me? And third, pray for a deep sense of your own littleness. 